This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to Dogman Radio. This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. Here with the head of hoops, we had to put out some feelers. We had to go put out a couple wanted posters out on the the, the, the signs outside Montlake, but we were able to track him down. Aaron Beach is back in the house. Aaron, how have you been doing? Hey, man, I'm good. And that's not true. You just had to promise to feed me. And feed <laughs> feed you I did. We went, yeah. to, we, we went to Kona Kitchen. We had a, we had a good little meal. Little, little, a little clack attack. Yep, I'm always up for a bribe. And we're good, and we're good to go. So anyways, just wanted to obviously catch people up. You know, basketball practice just started last week, so that's a really good time to catch up with you and find out kind of, the, you know, your feelings heading into the season. But before we even jump into that, let's go backwards just a little bit, not too far, but just in general, give me your feelings on the offseason moves just as a whole and kind of Mike Hopkins' reaction to just all the stuff that happened last season and what he needed to do to kind of get things back on track. Okay. Well, um, so A, absolutely no reason to rehash anything that happened last year. Right. I'm not, and like I said, we didn't, we're not going that far back, but we did want to kind of do some maybe a little off-season autopsy. And, and, and do you, let's put it this way, do you get a positive feeling going into this season that a lot of the things that caused the problems behind last year's failures have been, um, you know, either addressed or have been looked at to the point where you feel a lot more optimistic heading into this particular season? So, yes, in answer to your question. I mean, to be honest, as bad as last season was, um, I don't know that they really could have had a much better offseason, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think the moves Hopkins made were bold. Um, I think they were made because, um, you know, he knows that, the job is on the line and, uh, you know, his seat's hot, but that being said, I mean, bringing in Quincy, bringing in Viking, um, he leveraged, um, the new transfer rules, uh, you know, as well as just about navigated that about as well as anybody has. Um, he brought, you know, you, when you're bringing in the guys of the caliber that he's, that he's brought in, um, you know, Dejon and Terrell and Emmett Matthews, um, you know, these are, um, these are four star top 75 type of guys, which is where that's a, that's a program's bread and butter. So in general, um, if I had to grade the off season, it's probably an A. Okay. You're, yeah. and you're not necessarily the, the, the easiest grader in the world either on these things. So you've, you feel like basically everything that should have been addressed in the off season was addressed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, from a, just from a pure talent perspective um they've upgraded every position okay and so that makes me feel they've got a they've got a tough road to hold this season and it's not because their guys aren't there they don't have the guys it's because the pac 12 is going to be really strong again and that and, and when you look at 
Oregon State and Wazoo, who are your typical, those are your perennial bottom feeders. Well, all of a sudden, those are NCAA tournament uh, potential teams, right? Well, and Oregon State obviously had a phenomenal right. season last year. So. so coming into this year, we don't have the you don't have the guys that are the e- the easy wins. They're not there. So I think Washington has dramatically improved, dramatically. Okay. okay. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to show up in the um, schedule, right? So in the results. So what? It, just in my opinion, the three things that I thought needed to be addressed from like a coaching standpoint is that I think they needed to, to find someone that was really into working with the bigs. Uh-huh. They needed to find, obviously, just some new energy, some new blood. That's a big They thing. needed an infusion of energy into the coaching ranks. And then also, I think they needed a recruiting boost. Right. And the, and, and both Cameron Dollar and, and Dave Rice were very, are very, very good coaches. Let's get me wrong. I mean, they're very good coaches. But I think just this particular situation either burned them out or... They, they got enticed by other opportunities and maybe got their head turned a little bit. But obviously, by the end of the season, it was clear that some changes needed to be made. And give me your give me your impressions of what you've seen so far from both Wyking Jones and Quincy Pondexter. Well, I think he hit the nail on the head in terms of energy. And not just in terms of reinvigorating recruiting, but that's a big part of it, right? That we Washington needed um, an infusion of, uh, of recruiting energy. And uh, new relationships. Yeah, um, they needed California, mm-hmm. uh, which both Quincy and Viking address. Um, so that was key. But I think more importantly, um, in terms of conveying the overall program philosophy, um, those are guys. I, both Dollar and Rice have already been to the top of the mountain, right? And and my looking back at you know how this whole thing went down, um, to me. I don't know that I gamble on a head coach who's, you know, was at the top of the mountain for seven or eight years, and then you're just going to bring him as an, in as a, an assistant. Right. So to me, the, that was the best move that Hopkins made, was going out and get guys that should be hungry because they want to get to the top. And Wiking was there for a minute, right? And that yep. was it. So to me, that's a great, bold move. They re-energize the recruiting. They reestablish the foot or the uh, connections to California, um, while at the same time, at least in terms of Quincy, they're bringing in a guy that, uh, or they brought in a guy that knows everything about a winning culture and what it takes to do that at Washington. Do you feel like what what he's doing right now with Quincy is kind of like what Lorenzo did with Will? Absolutely. With, with, I mean, just in terms of bringing in the guy who knows the culture as well as anyone who had a ton of success yep. within the culture, understands obviously what needs to be done, yep. and then, like you said, bring some recruiting juice, some bring some youth to kind of the, the whole situation. You, Plus, there's also the NBA credibility part of it. And so these kids are looking at Quincy, who's 10 years older than they are. Right. Like, this guy's been there, right? And um, he knows what it takes. And and really, Quincy, you know, he had to overcome so many obstacles and barriers to get to where he, you know, to get to, to, get to the top of the mountain. To, right. To not just get to the NBA, but stick, even though he was overcoming injuries throughout the whole thing. So I think um, Quincy, even though it's a gamble, because he has no established coaching pedigree outside of some AAU stuff, I think he is, uh, that was, that was the home run hire to me. And and also Hop made it real clear. That was the one question he had about Quincy is whether or not the fire had been fully extinguished in terms of the NBA dreams. Mm -hmm. 
because, you know, when you go in there now, when you see guys practice, because obviously Hop's well known for jumping in there and getting his getting his feet wet and his nose broken and all the other things. Well, you know Wiking Jones is going to get in there. You know Quincy Pondexter is definitely going to get in there. Yep. Will Conroy's been in there for years now. Yep. Um, you know, it's interesting how those five-on-fives would end up being in terms of guys getting involved mm-hmm. and really getting kind of into the nitty-gritty. One thing you would I would say with Wiking Jones before we move on to some of the players you're right. He's been to the top of the mountain. He coached at Cal. He understands the Pac-12 footprint. He's obviously got great uh, recruiting genes in that area and whatnot. But you do really feel like he's taking this as a, as a shot to get back to the top of the mountain. You th- you feel like he's in- oh, reinvigorated sure. and he he's going to look at this as his opportunity to get the brass ring again. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he was only in the show for what a minute and a half. Yeah, right? not so, very long. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, but is this a situation where he really truly feels like he is a head coach and maybe he was just the wrong coach at the wrong time at Cal? Or is this a situation where he has reassessed and maybe understands that he is at his best when he is a part of a functioning group, but maybe isn't the man? No, I doubt that. I think his goal is, I'm sure, just to get right back to the top where Okay. Yeah. And, and that's not to say, that's not to diminish anything that he's potentially going to do at Washington or, right. you know... it. I don't see that as a drawback. You want a guy who, you know, is inspired. But let's right? be clear. We, we feel like it's a stepping stone for him. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And same for Quincy. It's just how long is he going to be there? You know, how long is that stop going to take? Right. right. I mean, all these guys. Will, at some point, I firmly believe Will's going to be a candidate probably for a, you know, a mid-major Northwest um, Pacific head coaching job. Right. Okay. Um, I, it's just a matter of time to me. And obviously, I, I think for all three of those coaches, though, um, they need some success here. Otherwise, that never happens. So, you know, for any of those guys to take that step. Yeah. But you finally feel like there's some balance in the coaching. I do. Because obviously Hop can be the all-around guy. He's the one that obviously knows the zone the best. So he can really kind of put his hands on the defensive side of things. But you've got Will with the guards. You've got Quincy now with the wings. And you've got Viking Viking with the bigs. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like there is an overall sem- uh, semblance of balance now. Whereas before you had like Cameron working with the bigs and it just didn't, it just didn't, it felt like round peg square hole type stuff. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, Chris. And I feel like that uh, on on top of that, the fact that kids like to interact with people that are closer to their old age and really Washington had a coaching staff, a bunch of old guys, (laughs) you know, and not to be, not, not to be offensive, but you know, there's a pretty big age gap there. I notice it when I interact with players these days like they just look at me like man that guy's got gray hair and you know he's he's not cool he doesn't have tiktok yeah. and hops younger, <laughs> hops younger than i am so i'm even worse about it so but let, let's go now you know we've kind of covered a little bit of the coaching changes and why we think those have been positives overall you know and clearly like i said they've only been a few practices in so we don't have a great idea as to how things are gelling and all that but obviously during the summer runs and whatnot, these guys got a, a great chance to know each other. But you kind of spelled it out in the very in, in your in your opening statement, Beach, that you know, here's a bunch of guys that have come back home. But they've come back home seasoned, mm-hmm. guys that have a wealth of experience, guys that could have ended up at Washington the very, very first time. Yep. And like if Romar had never left, a guy like Dejon Davis doesn't go to Stanford. Right. He stays at Washington, he plays with Jalen Noel and those guys. Um, let's start in the backcourt because that probably is the first place to start because that's the place where they, they tried to make the biggest impact first, mm-hmm. getting a guy like Terrell Brown who was a star at Seattle and then went to Arizona last year, um, and then obviously moving Dejon Davis into that role as well. Um, 
how do you think they were able to kind of piece together this roster in the backcourt to make sense going forward for the season? Well, I mean, you can't really look specifically at any position, one position at Washington last season that needed to be addressed because really they did. all did. Yeah. So, um, but the front court's the engine, right? Or sorry, the backcourt, your point guards, that's, yeah. that's your engine, the ball handler. So you had quad a last season, uh, who was a solid guy, but he's also six feet tall. Yeah. Right. Um, so what they've done is they've upgraded the athleticism. They've upgraded the size and the length because let's face it. Um, Stevenson, Quade, the, um, those guys were a mismatch for Hop Zone. Right. So one a major part of the problem last season was you had a bunch of little guys out there trying to play a zone. Yeah. Which is and they had to completely revamp their little matchup uh, defense to kind of compensate yeah. for that, which worked at times, but overall really did feel like a band aid. Yeah. It was not the solution. So now you've brought in a couple of ball hawks in yeah. Brown and Davis who are truly elite defenders. Yeah. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see because they are truly elite defenders, do they mix in some man to man, right? Because that's where they've come from. That's the environments where those guys were. Well, like Terrell Brown, best. for instance, we know for a fact he never played any zone. Right. Never did it at Arizona, for not sure. Not that he can't. And, 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 and it's not like he played every game. I mean, he didn't start every game at Arizona and was just kind of in the rotation. Right. But now he's going to be the guy. He's yep. going to be counted on every game. Yep. So that'll be interesting to see how they uh, react that way on that side so, of the ball. So you got a couple ball hawks, but the other thing you have that was a huge deficiency last season was you've got a couple guys who really make their living attacking the basket. That's what both Dejon and Terrell do. And they did it in high school, and that's where they were exceptional. Um, and they played together a ton when they were young. Yeah. Right? Between Rotary and Garfield, those guys... That was a backcourt that's had, got a lot of chemistry and a lot of history together, and they complement each other really well. So, um, huge upgrade in the backcourt. Yeah. Um, Dejon, one of my favorite kids I've ever covered. Um, and so just that right there is going to give the... You, you go from basically three star-ish guys. I mean, Quad A was a five-star guy. Yeah. But generally speaking, you go from two three-star talent in the backcourt to four-star 24-year-olds in the backcourt. Yeah, and what I find really interesting about that backcourt with those two guys specifically is that they can both score. They've proven it, whether it was Dejan at Stanford, whether it was Terrell, especially when Terrell was in Seattle. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was the man when he was, yep. when he was with the Red Hawks. But that's not what their game really is now. It really isn't. It feels like it's more of a facilitator. They won't pass up shots. But they're not having. They're not looking for their shots either. Right. And it feels like that is a lot more in line with what Hopkins wants from his guys, as opposed to guys like Quade and Stevenson, who were guys that obviously needed to look for theirs in order to really be at their best. Yeah, but don't you think that those both Brown and Dejon, they probably need to be two of your top three scorers, I think. Well, I think that's the thing, but I think that's, that scoring is going to come. I don't think they have to force it. Right. I don't, think they, I don't think they have to look for it necessarily. I think they can find it within the flow because I think they've shown that in right. the past. Um, but well, you're right. There, there's no doubt they're going to need complementary scoring in a lot of ways. Yep. I just don't necessarily feel like they have to come in thinking they've got to be the man. No, I think you've got that spread across the lineup. But yeah. here's something else. The downside to those guys, and I say downside, I don't really mean it, but... Um, they're not the great shooter, greatest shooters in the world, and yeah. I think that's going to be a something we're going to watch throughout the season because Washington, outside of of Jamal Bay, um, the guys they brought in are fairly mediocre shooters. And at 23, 24 years old, probably the lights 
I don't think is gonna. I don't think the lights gonna all of a sudden come on and they're gonna be forty percent shooters. These are guys that shoot in the mid thirties, low to mid thirties, right? Emmett Matthews, same story. Right. Um, so I think a um, Washington's not gonna be a very good shooting team, but they're gonna somewhat offset that because they're gonna be a better uh, drive and dish team. You know, they're gonna be a better penetrating team. They're gonna be able to get the basket. And um, and you'd imagine that it'd be low scoring games to begin with if the zone is doing what it needs to do. Right. And they could create transition. Right. Um, but I think that puts there's a lot of pressure that's gonna be put on Jamal Bay. Yep. And as there should be. Yep. Right. Um, and he sounds like he's talking all the right things. I mean, you know, based on some of the comments that have been made by people on the boards, you know, talking about you know Jamal Bay feeling more confident, feeling like he needs to take more of a role, and feels like he's there now. So maybe the light, you know, we've seen at various times the light has kind of flickered here and there. It hasn't really fully gone on. But if we want to move from the guards now to the wings and talk a little bit about those guys, whether we're talking about a Bay or a Matthews or even a guy like that's already there, like a Cole Bajima, mm-hmm. you know, for instance, I mean, how many of these guys do they really need to have the light go on like right away? Obviously, with Matthews and, and Bay, time is kind of, of the of the essence. Yeah. Well, so I, like I said, Bay, I think is the key. I think Matthews is going to be used more in the four spot than necessarily on the wing. Um, I think Grant's kind of a face-up, even though he's a forward, he's a face-up guy. Right. So I think... But they're going to be more like corners in the zone. Right, right. So, uh, again, there's... How good a shooter is Bajima? That's one of the things I'm wondering, because they need him to be a good shooter. Right. I think Jackson Grant's a pretty solid shooter. They're going to need him to shoot the ball well. Um, now, is he going to be a four or a five in this in this role? Do you think? I think he'll probably. Well, I don't know. That's tough to say because I think it matters more. You know, what's um, Langston Wilson like? What's his role? Yeah. How ready is he to contribute? Right. Um, can someone unseat Nate Roberts? Yep. Um, those are all because you've really got five and Riley, of course. So you've got if Riley put on twenty pounds in the off season, maybe he's more impactful. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but you've got five guys that are, you know, you got some kind of a combination there right. from the four and five spots. Uh, I think you've got some pretty good talent. Um, you don't have a, I don't think you have a back to the basket score. Um, maybe Grant a little bit, really Langston Wilson's a, you know, he's a putbacks. He's an energy guy, right? He's a, to me, he's a total energy guy and, and, yeah. a, and a, and a, and a transition guy right but i but let's not move too far ahead but when we're talking about bay and matthews and and guys that maybe can score a little bit in or outside in as opposed to inside out yeah you know are you seeing some potential of them being complimentary in the way that brown and davis can be complimentary maybe maybe if again bay's got to shoot the ball yeah right you you got you but can't we have saw, him take. But we saw it in Pac-12 play. I mean, we did. He was really the, good from three. Yeah, especially the second, that last like seven or eight. Game. I mean, he yeah. was great from three. He yeah. shot over. I he shot fifty some odd percent. Yeah, that's he, he was one of the top. I think four or five in the league. But when you're only shooting, you know, a couple a game. Well, then that's the thing. So I think that's a confidence. To me, piece. if if you need Washington particularly because their shooting efficiencies needs Bay shooting five to eight three pointers a game. Yeah. Every single game, he's got to get those looks. Um, if not, teams are going to just pack it in and dare Davis and Brown to shoot over them. Which, or, all, or all those guys to be yeah. perimeter guys. So I think that's um, you know that's something I'm going to be watching. That's an area where I think they may struggle, but I, I'm just crossing my fingers that Bay is you know ready to take that step. You know Qu- he's got Quincy there. Quincy took 
everybody remembers. Quincy took that step, and I remember the game. It was USC junior year, midway through Pac-12, where all of a sudden Quincy went from, you know, uh, you know, just a just a guy that had a lot of potential to yeah. the guy, yeah. right, and a future NBA player. And it was um, so we're right in that same timeline with Bay, and I'm I'm hoping that we see the same kind of progression in you know in his trajectory. And in Benjamin, you, I mean, you mentioned you're looking to see if he he's going to shoot the ball a little bit better. Where do you see him kind of fitting with his strength? Because clearly he's an energy guy. Uh-huh. He does have defense in him. I, I think yep. that was just a situation where he was a fish out of water learning the zone, yeah. just like most of those guys were yep. last year. But he's a year longer in it now. Mm-hmm. Um, he clearly has the length. I think he could be a good transition guy as well. But ultimately, do you see him as like a, a seventh guy off the bench? Eighth I see guy? him more as an eighth, ninth guy. Okay, all right. I'm just I'm just wondering where yeah. you think his strengths are going to fit into this well, into this mix. So I think you know Matthews I suspect starts at the four. Okay. Right. So then um, Badjama is competing with Jackson Grant for those backup four minutes. Okay. That's to me. I, I mean maybe play some three. Okay. Because uh, he's a he's a fair ball handler and, a, and you know he's generally regarded as having a pretty high IQ and right. a floor floor awareness right so there's been talk of using him in kind of a point forward type of role i was um, just wondering if you see him as a strictly energy guy no i think he's no i think there's more there maybe okay right um, but yeah I, I i'm not quite sure he's a guy that's got a lot of upside i was going to say do you see him as a streaky guy no i think the challenge will be: Are there enough minutes for him okay. to really to really see what he can do? And okay. I don't know that there are. Where do you think Matthews's biggest impact is going to be? Because you've already said right now you think he's going to be at the four. You think he'll play at a corner, defensively um, and in transition. And I think I would love to see him in that Matisse Thibault top. That's of the what zone I, I was wondering. I mean, I was wondering. People obviously are going to compare a lot of these transfer guys mm-hmm. to what Matisse brought defensively. Yeah. Is he probably the closest? Yeah, I, I kind of think of him as like a Desmond Simmons type that's, um, you know, that kind of an impact role. But ra- but rangier. Uh, yeah, Des- rangier, longer, like more athletic. Bit, Desmond felt but, like a little bit more of a paint guy to me. Yeah, but I think that's going to be, um, I, I think that's going to be Emmett Matthews too. Okay. Because he's not a shooter. Okay. You know, he's a, you know, high he's 20s, a, he's three a scrap, point shooter. But he's, he's a scrapper. Yeah. Inside. Okay. Yeah. So that's where I see that. Um, I, I mean, he'll face up because... That's what he's got to do, but right. he's going to get energy buckets. Yeah. yeah. And he says, I mean, we'll move into Langston Wilson here in just a second, but he's also kind of another one of those that that's that might be difficult to guard because he, he has that kind of awkwardy lefty mm-hmm. thing kind of going on. Yeah. Um, well, and I think he's going to have a huge impact uh, in transition. Yeah. Right. So he's he gets up and down the floor in a hurry, and yeah. I think that's going to be a big – you know, Washington didn't have that guy last year. Well, it's so funny to say that they didn't have a rim protector necessarily, even though you had Nate Roberts and you had Riley Soren. But Soren is, is definitely not a rim protector. No. And Nate's and, and built like a rim Nate, protector, Nate but didn't should, have the instincts and, and, for it. And I suspect that he will be a better rim protector this year. But a guy like Langston Wilson is that guy. Well, maybe he is. A, maybe he's... He just looks like with that length, he's going to come out of. That's and, and thing, it's not yeah. going to be. It's not going to be where guys are going to have to challenge him and they see what's coming. It's going to be one of those where he comes from, you know, maybe not pulling Thibel type moves, but maybe pulling situations where he's blocking people from the side, right? Or he's coming from a ways away because he's got a twelve foot wingspan. You mm-hmm. know, it's just kind of pulling some of those Thibel esque type moves. Yep. 
Yeah. No, well, it's, even not fair to, it's not fair to compare anyone to Thibault. Yeah. That's a very unique guy. Exactly. But the role... But this is but this is where we're at right yeah. now, Beach, is because yeah. he came to Washington, he played at Washington, yep. he excelled at Washington, yep. two-time well, defensive player of the year and all yep. that stuff. People are going to try to find out yep. who's the next guy. The dimensions are similar. Yeah. And... and and those guys, Hop and those guys are going to want to try to recruit yep. a guy that could be the next Ibel. And they're going to use that in their pitch. Well, if you back up, so last year you and I talked a lot about, um, you know, it was early on when we were kind of digesting their woes and where things were going wrong and, and the fact that um, the roster just looked wrong, right? Yeah. It just, it didn't fit what Hop was doing. Well, now you've got a roster with dimensionally at least, and yeah. from, I think, a skill set perspective, that looks a lot more like USC, which to me has always got the roster where you're like, man, Washington should have those guys. Right. Right? Well, I think they do now. I think you're talking Washington, about just the raw athletes? Yeah, and, that athleticism, that length, yeah. that balance. Well, that, that's the thing that, that, that was always the $64 question, Beach, was why did Hop get away from the length when you, he's a guy that you you would only recruit length for the zone? Right. I mean, it just, it was, it was a natural. A, it was baffling to yeah. me last season. The whole roster makeup was completely baffling. Yeah, and it, it, that was always a question that was on my mind the whole time. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. What I want to know is that when, when we're now moving to the bigs, we talk about a guy like Wilson, but we also talk about a Jackson Grant or we talk about a Nate Roberts, Riley Sorn, those guys that we expect could be in the middle of, of all of this. Mm-hmm. And again, I think guys like Wilson and, 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 um, and Grant are probably going to be Guys that may see a couple minutes here and there in the, as the five, but I, I don't uh, expect I expect them to be more corner corner guys mm-hmm. in the zone because of their length. Yep. Um, where do you see the benefits of having Jones coaching those guys now? When you have a guy who's literally six eight six nine, like we were talking about, and the kind of moves that he can show those guys offensively, but also the kinds of things they can do defensively to guard that bucket and to do what they need to do in order to be that kind of dominant force in the middle of the zone. Well, so I don't I don't know so much defensively, I but more when you think uh, about Washington Post players in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, like who are you looking in terms of anyone who's got a back to the basket game? You know, who are you looking at? You're looking at Noah Dickerson? Yeah. And that's maybe it. Aziz Enjai a little bit. No, no, okay, I, no, okay. They they haven't had it. So to me, it's more like a well. This is we're Washington's made an addition, a coaching upgrade that actually, uh, you know, addresses a specific problem within the program that they've had for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, and so I, I I feel like he's gonna probably have a bigger impact offensively coaching up these bigs to. You know, because we've seen no, I mean, no offensive skill development from the front court right. in years. Right. You know, even dating back to Romar, right? Like it just, it, it just stopped. And so, um, I like to think that that's where Vikings going to have the biggest, biggest benefit. Yeah, and and for a guy like Jackson Grant, for instance, I mean, do you see him? How how much of it do you see him being more of a post up guy, no. or do you see him more as a face up guy? He's a face up four. So you think he's going to be more of a jump shooter when yeah. it comes down? He's to He's skilled, it. but yeah, he's not he's, really. 
he's not really built to, he's not built banging, you know, he's, right. that's not what he did in high school. So, um, I mean, over time, maybe, I mean, there are a lot of people that think he's got NBA upside, but again, it's not going to be in a traditional back to the basket way. It's well, that's why I was wondering how much, how much of, because people are going to probably instinctively compare him to a guy like Spencer Hawes. Does yeah, he have much Hawes in right, him? That's the right, but see, Hawes, had Hawes come of age now, yeah. he would have um, developed differently. He would have developed with more face-up you know, that's just, that's the way the game's gone. Right. So, so yeah, in terms of skills, that, that's a pretty good comparison. They're okay. very similar guys, but, um, you know, the game's a different game now, so Jackson's been playing on the wing yeah. way more than Spencer ever did. Right. Okay. Well, to wrap things up, I'm just kind of curious as to what you think overall, where this particular Washington setup and, and team maybe fits into the overall scheme within the the Pac-12, because mm-hmm. as you alluded to, there's no real cupcakes anymore. Uh-huh. Now again, I don't know how good Stanford and Cal and those teams are going to be. Colorado, yeah. I mean, well, you know, Tad, we know yeah. Tad Boyle is a great coach, right. so you know he's going to come up with something, right? And Kristoviak's gone now at yeah. Utah, so we don't know what the situation is going to be like. We don't there. know what Arizona's going to do with Tommy Lloyd. They've exactly. got a fairly gaping uh, roster. Yeah, and and he's got the pedigree. He's coming in with everything lined up for him. Yeah. So we, but we don't know how long that's going to take to really kick in and gel. Yeah. So there are definitely question marks in the league. But where do you think Washington fits in? Do you, can they be a top-half team in the Pac-12, do you think? I'd like to say, I mean, honestly, when you look at the talent, the talent is there. I'd say the odds are pretty low. But, um, you know, they've got the guys to be very competitive. And so, I mean, I guess there's just still too much up in the air to really know. I, yeah. I, I I feel they could they can compete. There's no doubt in my mind they can compete. They're not going to get boat raced and lose by 30 the way we saw them do constantly last year. It's just are they they don't have the guy right? They still don't have that guy. And I to me you need a Johnny Juzang or you know you need an elite guy to really finish in that top one two three. Okay. You know? Can they compete for a tournament berth? Yes, I think they can, and to me, that's that's the. So that's you the must goal. you must think they're top half then, because they're Pac-12 is not going to get more than six bids. No, that's why I'm saying they can compete yeah. for a tournament berth. Okay, that doesn't. I don't think they're uh, odds-on favorite. Right, but I think they've got enough talent where that's a consideration at least. It's on the table. But again, is that part of the fact that you feel like Washington has just made that many strides forward? to compete, or is that also a mix of the fact that the Pac-12 may be just down a little bit? Well, I think the Pac-12's not really down, though. I, I mean... Who do you think's going to compete? Well, it looks UCLA's like... UCLA's going to be a Final Four team. UCLA's going to be good. Obviously, the Oregon schools yeah. have got their guys coming back. USC's going to be solid. Wazoo's got a bunch of studs coming back, yep. right? Yep. So they got Abigidi and some of those other guys coming yeah. through. So How much... Uh, you know, is Oregon State going to carry over, right? right? I mean, so there's... Yeah, so while, they got, got Alatiche and... You don't have a bunch of top back. 10 teams. You've got a bunch of borderline top 20, a bunch of borderline top 25 teams. Right. Which is a struggle, right? So I feel like the heart of the Pac-12 is probably eight or nine teams deep. I was going to say, listening to what you're just saying right now, it, it sounds very football-esque in the sense that you think that the league might just kind of cannibalize yeah, themselves absolutely. by just eating each other at yep. that at that higher level yep. but not an elite level yep 
So all those guys that could have been potentially top 20 teams are going to now end up probably being about top 30 Yeah, because this team lost to that team, but they beat that team who beat that team. I think you're going to have a lot of teams that are going to have 20, 22 wins in the conference. Okay. And so, and, and Washington and how, could be one of them. So I was going to say, how close do you think Washington gets to 20 wins? That's, that's, that's the that's marker, right? That's the bar. on, does this team really gel together? Because I think they've got the talent to be there. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there's so much uncertain, right? I mean, so much uncertain. Never has there been less certainty with a Washington team than heading into this season. But given their makeup and given all the things that they have now in place, do you think it's going to be more important that they make those strides on the offensive end or the defensive end to get them over the hump? Because me, personally, I still think it comes down to the defense. defense. Because the yeah. defense will create enough in transition right. where they won't have to necessarily have to search and really go high and low to try to figure out a motion offense or something to, to, to generate the kind of points that they need. I think if it starts defensively, like it always should, and then they can get out of transition, they can especially use a guy like Wilson to really break teams down. And, you know, I don't I don't know necessarily what his skills are like as maybe an outlet passer, but to get him on the on the end of those, that could be fun. And and I think that instinctively also creates some energy and some juice to get the crowd into it, to get mm-hmm. the momentum going. I think there's a lot that could be said there, but I think personally, I think it still has to happen on the defensive end for them. Yeah, I think that's a fundamental of basketball just in general. What but I think for there. this team, most importantly, because they're so wedded to the zone yeah. and they've been so good at it for so long under Hopkins when they've had the right pieces. Mm-hmm. And that's all that to me is the, they can definitely be that to me is the most intriguing question to me going in the season is do they got all the right pieces in a number of ways to create a very cohesive team mm-hmm. from a team bonding standpoint, from a playing for each other standpoint for a never quit type standpoint because Mm -hmm. you've got a lot of veterans that have been through this before and I think they're motivated because this is their hometown now they're part of the hometown team again Mm -hmm. but do they really have the pieces mechanically to make that zone work do they have the pieces mechanically to make a motion offense work the way that Hopkins would want it to work on paper yes yeah at least defensively um offensively I am concerned about their shooting um just because the college game is so reliant on sinking three-pointers so that one does concern me that's my biggest fear with the offense even more so than not having the elite scorer because i don't i still don't know that they have a guy who they can just be depend on to go get a bucket when they need a bucket yeah like they did with noel right and you know yeah and you're right they they need a focal point guy right but could so do you think that focal guy be is 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 he going to be terrell brown is it going to be dejon davis i think it's going to be game by game yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't see any of those guys really like being above and beyond the other. I don't think there's a lot of separation between them. But I think those are your two. Plus, Jamal I mean, Bay. Bay needs to be the guy. Yeah. Needs to. Like, yeah. of all the guys on the team that need to take a big leap. Yeah. Because you're, I mean, again, Brown and Davis kind of are what they are at this point. Um, so, yeah. Well, and you'd think Bay should be who he is by this point. This will be his fourth year in the well, program. The only reason I'm not saying that is because we don't want who he currently is. We want who he should be, who we think is there. I get it. Because that's what Washington needs. Otherwise, otherwise, you want to talk about guys like, you know, guys that Badgema will supplant. Yeah. I mean, if, if Bay doesn't, you know, 
yeah. take a pretty big leap, yeah. he's going to cede playing time because there's a lot more depth on the roster this year. Right. And 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 I think really when it comes down to it, there Jamal Bay is the one guy on that team because the other guys around him are going to be pretty veteran presence. Mm-hmm. He's the one guy that needs to have a couple games to go off early. Yeah. So that he can really build off something and really kind of take what he's done in the offseason because it sounds like he's put in a lot of work. Um, I think to take if, his game to the next level. If you, if we're sitting here in January, at the end of January, and Bay is getting five to eight three point attempts a game, I think Washington's in a pretty good spot. Honestly, like if you look at one specific thing, I think yeah. that's a, you know, that's going to project where they are at that time. That single little stat is yeah. going to be. I was going to say me, on, on paper he should be the one taking the most three pointers. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. There's. Yeah. No doubt. And honestly, I want, I'd rather him, you know, shooting 44%, but taking eight three pointers a game rather than, you know, shooting 51% and taking three shot attempts a game. Yeah. That's, that's going to have to be different. Okay. And ultimately, I guess we'll, we'll wrap this up each. What do you want to see from Hop? I mean, he is, you know, he's the guy that, that went down into the valley and, and, and suffered all the slings and arrows last yeah. year based on what happened, and, and in many ways rightfully so because he's talked about it. He talked about all the things that needed to happen and, and kind of the reflection process that he had to go through in order to kind of rebuild kind of almost from scratch, and you saw it through the recruiting process what they did, not just players but coaches. Ultimately, where do you think the next steps have to take in his development in order to get to where he needs to be you know, to be kind of the the head coach that I think everyone expects, and certainly the one that showed up here and and was the two time Pac twelve coach of the year mm-hmm. to begin his tenure. Um, well, let me tell you what I really like is I I, lo- I love that he went back and addressed, looked at, took a hard look at himself because, and not necessarily from the program perspective, but what could he do differently? What did he do wrong? And I gave the offseason a grade an A, and that's primarily because to me, he went and he acknowledged, man, I let I dropped the ball in these areas, and this is what I as a coach need to do differently. Um, so whether or not he survives, I don't know. I mean, they've got to have a pretty good season for that to happen, I think, because um, the pressure is going to be there, and they are going to be... You know they're going to lose a lot of guys this season, right? So yeah, the portal giveth and the portal taketh away. Exactly. Um, so you know, first we got to survive this season, and I want to see that the changes he's made are really impactful, and I think they will be. But that's really going to be that's going to tell the the tale of the season. Yeah. Well, Aaron, you've been phenomenal as always. It was great to catch up. Uh, I'm going to go digest now, and uh, and kind of uh, take this all in. As well as the uh, the mochi chicken and all the rest of it, but I really appreciate you giving some insight into what's going on. The season really is almost upon us. We're we're probably about a month away from the games really starting up in earnest, and so uh, it should be a really really fun season. And I know, granted, I understand a lot of people are talking about the basketball team and bigging them up a little bit just because the football team's not doing what they should be doing right now. But I think that there's plenty of reasons that we've talked about today why fans should be excited about basketball going forward. I think you're right. I think the changes were made that needed to be made. They started with the head coach. Um, and I'd say one of the best traits of any great head coach is the ability to change and, and be willing to change. Mm-hmm. And I think we saw that with, with Coach Hopkins in the offseason. And obviously he's made a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how quickly it takes for them to all kind of come together. And I think 
you kind of talked about, you know, that that process of of that that meld of how long that takes will ultimately probably tell the tale of how well they do in this season. So for Aaron Beach, head of hoops, this is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. Go dogs. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday after the Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.